So welcome, Dr. Moritz, and thank you for joining Jose and Dr. Montiel and I for another episode of Frankly Speaking, specifically on pellet quality. Um, you, we know that you are a professor at West Virginia University, and you teach poultry science and have been there for going on almost 20 years. Is that right? That's correct. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us and 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 being a part of it. Um, we'll just kind of kick it off. Um, I the first question that I have for you, Dr. Moritz, is um, what are the most common observational indicators that a mill should be concerned about pellet quality? So I, I think it somewhat depends on whether we're talking about a commercial mill or an integrated mill. Um, but certainly if there's some type of, of standard test um, or routine test for durability, uh, that can be a, a quick indication that you're having issues with pellet quality. Um, durability that would be around 50%, I would view as problematic. I think many integrators are concerned about um, durabilities that are that, are that low. Uh, and, and the whole point of a pellet durability assay or a hardness assay for that matter is just to relate uh, that particular measure to the opportunity for birds to see a particular percentage of pellets in front of them in the feed pan. So if, if we're predicting 50% uh, durability index and, and that relates to 50% of the feed in the pan in front of the bird being in pelleted form, the other 50% being in mash form, uh, we likely could do much better. If we're talking about a, a commercial mill, then, then certainly there's going to be some feedback uh, from customers uh, where you know, they, they may have a, a much higher expectation for pellet quality. Maybe they're looking for something in, in the 90% um, uh, range or more. Um, in an integrated operation, I hope that there's some discussion between uh, live production in the feed mill. And uh, you know, I truly believe with my research that pellet quality can impact live performance. So I would hope that if they're seeing issues in the field, uh, that would be related back to the mill and then they can look closely at, at pellet quality. Hey, Joe, I would like to make a little just a kind of comment. I've heard some uh, people in the industry that they mentioned, well, PDI is critical, mainly from the integrator side. PDI is critical, but we are more interested on the fines level at the bird plate or the pellet level at the bird plate. So. They, they could have a good PDI, let's put it that way, in, in the mill, but they're not, they're not seeing that at the farm level. So, any? Yeah, yeah so I, I think that that's the idea. You want that that measure to predict pellets in the So if if the pellet durability assay, the, the Kansas State tumbling box assay isn't giving you that, then you could utilize the modified uh, pellet durability index, right, with five 13 millimeter hex nuts added. Uh, or you could use, uh, you, you know, some some of these air chambers with, with perforations that, that beat pellets up further. Um, but but yeah, you want to find a method that's going to to give that prediction because I'm sure everybody's going to have different systems for handling those pellets once they're produced, and then the transportation and and how you're going to convey those pellets out of the truck uh, into the bins, and then of course the length of augers in in barns as well. So there are going to be some some specific situations for each integrator. When when would you know you have done you've gone too far? Uh, pursuing your pellet quality in terms of cost and effort. I mean, where, uh, how, how does, does the threshold go there? 
So, so I think the, the two important uh, factors uh, when you're chasing pellet quality would be production rate, of course, because it, it oftentimes does not make sense, especially for integrated operations, uh, to have a very low production rate uh, despite producing high quality pellets. Uh, because we, we don't want birds to be hungry. We don't want trucks to be waiting. We want to move that feed through the system. Um, and then also, I think that there's real concern about um, doing something negative in terms of nutrition. Um, a lot of research that I've done has shown that when you chase pellet quality with very high conditioning temperatures and high conditioning times, uh, that you can decrease amino acid digestibility. And, and that's definitely a concern because now uh, you're putting a lot of effort into something and it's kind of a wash because you're not getting that benefit that you should be getting out of feeding high quality pellets. That's right. Makes mm -hmm. sense. Um, so would you, is there a breaking point between optimum PDI level and cost benefit and is it different for each industry? So, so yes, I think it's, very different for each industry, right? We we typically say that for commercial mills, we're looking at eight to ten dollars per ton of additional cost of pelleting, and maybe three to four for integrated operations. And much of that has to do with throughput uh, and the time it's taking you in manufacture. So, um, you know, certainly when when production rate is very important, which is the situation for most integrated operations, uh, we as I said before, you don't want to slow down. Uh, to a point where, yes, we're, we're getting better pellets, uh, but we're not getting the feed volume out that we need to get out. Great. Um, and would you say, would you say some ingredients pose a bigger challenge to pellet quality than other ingredients? Absolutely. Um, you know, I think mixer added fat is <laughs> the most dramatic change you'll see in pellet. A little bit uh, more fat, uh, and, and you, you create pretty poor pellets. Uh, my lab, we do a lot of energy research here lately, especially last week. Uh, negative control diets may have half percent fat uh, at the mixer. You know, your positive control might be 3% fat at the mixer, and they're night and day. I almost worry that it's a confounding uh, factor when you do the experiment because it's just such a dramatic change in pellet quality. Uh, but other ingredients are certainly difficult to pellet. Um, you know, uh, DDGS, corn DDGS, depending on how it's processed, uh, you could be using material that has most of the starch taken out, so it's not really going to help you in terms of uh, pellet quality, and then it hurts you further by, by having some issues with throughput in the pellet dye and, and having some of that adhering material uh, that would be uh, stuck in that inner surface of the pellet dye, so we've got to try to get that out of there or do something uh, to, to increase production rate. So pl plenty of ingredients are difficult. Uh, I had some issues this summer with wheat, uh, just using a high inclusion of wheat in a formulation, which is typically great for pellet quality. But boy, my yeah. fruit uh, was was it was very difficult to get it uh, through through the dye. You think it was the high moisture level of the wheat that caused that? So uh, yes, I do. I think it, it took us a little trial and error, but I, I think yes, it was moisture related. So I, I had a little too much. Uh, uh, water in my steam, uh, and that was screwing me up. I think the wheat itself was a little too moist, and, and it just created a bottleneck there. Okay. Would you would you say, and this is a, probably a little off the subject, but would you see a trend to use more wheat? 
I think when it costs in, in, in uh, just from the uh, research that I've been doing with some different integrated groups, it, it seems to have cost been cost effective in diets here as of late um, as we wait for new corn. And uh, so it, and it's great. You know, it's it's great to put wheat in the formulation because you, you certainly make better pellets, um, but it makes the milling process more difficult, at least in my opinion. So your, your pellet quality would improve? But it'll compromise your your efficiency. Yes, in, at least from what I do. Yes. Okay. Um, you mentioned the uh, the fat, the, the the like more the more fat, the more difficult the good pellet quality would go. Um, if you go across species, like you compare like a poultry meal, that like a poultry feed with a swine feed, that will have significantly more fat. Um, what is what is the the what is the strategy there? To handle that excess fat, so so a lot of people uh, use a, a small percentage at the mixer, and then they're going to utilize some type of post pellet application system, um, and and that can be fantastic. But I've also been in commercial mills where the blending line post pelleting uh, is is so rigorous that you you degrade pellet quality there also. So just in the the process of uh, using kind of a twin screw mixer with a rotocoder. Uh, it seems that the pellet quality is, is just as poor as it would be if you would add everything up front. And, and I agree in swan formulations, but boy, with turkey formulations, that's also a, a big problem. A uh, yeah, these large toms and, and the energy level is so high and there's so much fat uh, in those diets and that becomes problematic. So, so on that topic, um, how does the physical quality of pellets impact the nutritional quality of the diet? So it, if you're doing things correctly, I, I don't think that it should. But if you are slowing down um, in, in really using the pellet dye itself to create a pellet of high quality, so you're doing less of pellet formation in the conditioner and more in the dye, then I, yeah. I think it is an issue. And, and I've got data to, to demonstrate that. Um, for example, uh, the difference between using dicalcium phosphate and tricalcium phosphate. Tricalcium phosphate is anecdotally said to scour the pellet dye and help to, to push feed through uh, a little faster. And you, you take a small hit on pellet quality, so you don't get as, as great of pellet quality, but we have seen that it also improves amino acid digestibility. So kind of decreasing that pressure and that frictional force in the pellet dye uh, could have some benefits. Following that same uh, question, in the diet, measuring delta T, will that help them to kind of, uh, in some form, compensate that uh, damage that you're having there? That yeah. So it's a, it's a great question. I think there's so many variables. It's very difficult to, to just uh, precisely say this particular rise in temperature is going to have this extent of detriment or benefit. Um, but but certainly we see that we see that with tricalcium phosphate seem to help more fat at the mixer actually helps, uh, but but typically they're going to have opposite effects on pellet quality. Um, depending on the ingredients, uh, corn soy diets I, I do not see as as great a delta T variation, uh, but with wheat based diets we see a lot more friction uh, in the dye. I see greater greater delta T there. Uh, 